Tuesday, Tuesday. What do we have this week? Monday was President's Day. I'm going to go over some of my favorite presidents and things that they've said. We also have the passing of Justice Antonin Scalia. We're going to talk a little bit about that and the implications that it puts on the election coming up. Also, pet peeve of mine, internet memes. Don't use them for politics. We also have Angry Bernie fans, Donald Trump, Ridiculous Statement of the Week, and more. And it's all on this show, which is... What is this show? This is Fritzcast. No way. Thanks, Deep Voice Self. I bet you're all freaking out now. I've never let the music slowly fade out like I have before I started talking. It's kind of cool. I like the theme song. That's from bensound.com. It's called Rumble. Free of use. But I want to give the dude credit, as much credit as he can possibly get. Because, uh, I, you know, I like it. It's a simple little, you know, just a little jaunty tune that uh, can get you in the mood for some Fritzcast. Another week, it's in the books. I'm actually back on a quote normal, unquote, schedule. I wrapped up my two weeks as a field training officer for the two initial training weeks for the class that just came in. That was was a really fun experience, let me tell you. Um, uh, You ever work in your, like, just your daily grind and things just get boring and routine and you don't have any passion for it? Like, I know there's lots of, uh, there's lots of talk that people say if you're not if you don't love what you do don't even bother doing it. In this day and age, um, I need money. I do. That's uh, I think everybody needs money to live. I don't know anywhere where you can live without making money, um, unless you're talking about like. I don't. I there's there was time periods once upon a time where maybe you didn't need money to live, but fact of the matter is I needed a job. Uh, you know <laughs> the DOC hires. And uh, uh, pretty much it's your job to lose. So it's steady, guaranteed income. I can throw in some overtime to make some more money. But this field training thing, like, the interesting thing about it is sometimes things fall into your lap. And you have to take notice when that happens and be a little thankful for when those things happen. For instance, if, uh, if, if somebody ever knocks on my door and says, hey... Here's a contract for a radio show. We want you to, uh, you know, broadcast what you do five days a week. I would be the most thankful man on the face of the planet. And you'd see me try to pay that back about ten times over. In this case, we're talking about my superiors. We're talking, um, we're talking my uh, my supervisors and and above them even handpicked people for this uh, program. And this last this last two weeks was the first class to get it, and me and the other officer chosen uh, for this class. They, we were handpicked by some pretty significant higher up people to run the first class, which is an it's an honor. It honestly it is. I mean, they have this program that they're serious about. They want it to be effective, and I I was one of the people that was hand chosen for it. You might say, well, you run a podcast, you you know you have good communication. Well. <laughs> If I don't know you, I, t- chances are I don't talk to you. Honestly, that's how this works. If I don't know you well enough to gauge, like I don't joke around at work unless I know you. If I know you, I'll joke around you. But if I've engaged you and figured out where you fall on the spectrum of, of 
how wacky I can get and how zany I can get. You know, I'm I'm more reserved. On this, I can be whatever I want. I don't care. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to do ridiculous things to gain a bunch of listeners. I'm just, I'm literally just putting my opinion out there and I'm trying to engage others and I'm trying to make this something bigger than what it is. I'm trying to make this bigger than me sitting down on Mondays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays, whatever the case may be. Going over news, going over politics, going over my views on things. Just just talking and ranting a little bit, too. I'm trying to make it more than just a one-day-a-week thing, because I really, this is what I love doing. And I would love, if, if it was a radio show, man, I'm telling you, I'd love to be running the gears for, for two to three hours a day in a show. Um, and I'd love my time to be open enough for me to sit down and really tear into things. Um, excuse me, I might take an occasional sip of coffee. But I really love the program, and I started doing some things behind the scenes there, too. Uh, I just got approval for doing some things behind the scenes to, to make it a little bit better. And it's just it's made me feel important. It's made the work feel significant. It has brought excitement back into... You know things, except this week it's re- this week's a real downer. It's it's done and over. Next class doesn't come until March, and I don't you know they haven't decided how they're going to factor in who teaches the next class. There's a big group of FTOs. Do they do they cycle them in and out? Do they keep me and the original one they picked because it worked out so well? I don't know. But right now, it's like I went from a real high two weeks of having something normal, something really normal. You know, eight to four. Saturday and Sunday off. That's about as normal as you can make it these days. I went from that and and teaching people how to conduct themselves in the in the prison. I've gone from that to being back in the trenches again and that it brought a low. So kind of depressed right now. But it is what it is, you know? I'm thankful that I had the opportunity and I'm trying to make it more than what it was. So I'm hoping that that gets noticed and it can take me somewhere. Now, I just mentioned I'm drinking coffee. I'm still yes, I'm still recovering from whatever. It's it's that it's the season, man. The season. I don't mind the cold. Really, I don't. I'm not a complainer. This is probably the first time in a long time that you that, that my wife could tell you. You're like, "Oh my god, he's a big baby." And I mean, my wife thinks it's cold as balls, too. But this is like the first time I've actively I've actively been saying, yeah, it's cold. So, <laughs> but the coffee I'm drinking, this kind of ties into what I was talking about last week with IKEA. One of the, uh, I'm not gonna say stupid, but one of those little non-necessary items that we found and we decided to buy was a uh, a French press coffee maker. It's like a, if you don't know what it is, Google you know the picture. Obviously, I don't think I should have to say that anymore. If you don't know what it is, pause, go on Google, search it. And figure it out. Uh, but a French press coffee maker is a is a big uh, pitcher with uh, like this these metal filter plunger thing that you put on top. So you go buy coffee grinds. Um, go go buy coffee grinds, or go to the store and and buy the whole beans, grind them yourself, or, or throw them through the grinder. Make them coarse, so you have a nice you know nice coarse coffee grind coffee beans and uh and uh from there you uh you pour boiling water in and 
you fill it up to the top, put put the plunger on, put the plunger piece on top, let it sit for like five minutes, push all the grinds to the bottom, and then you pour your cup of coffee. It makes a delicious cup of coffee. I'm telling you. Very good. I've become a coffee connoisseur of types. Uh, still love my Keurig. Uh, we have Keurig 2.0 machine. Still love Keurig and, and the little K-Cups, but this, this, definitely, uh, definitely a, a, a close second. And I like it because I don't have to make a big, like, pot of coffee, per se. I don't have to go out and buy another coffee thing and plug it in. I can just heat up water, pour it in, and boom, I can get, I'd say, maybe three cups, maybe four out of that. And it's delicious. So French press coffee, go out and get some. Not a sponsor. I don't have any sponsors yet. If you'd like to be a sponsor, email me. Maybe. Or tweet me. Post on the Facebook page. I don't care. We could use some sponsors. Brought to you by... Look, listen to my voice anyway. Brought to you by... It's it's just... It's perfect. I should go on Fiverr and start selling my voice. I, I probably will. I don't know. We'll see. So, uh... Let's talk about, uh... Talk about uh, Supreme Court. Um, what was it? Saturday, Sunday. Uh, it was found. Uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia uh, was found dead, seventy-nine years old. This leaves a Supreme Court vacancy. Now, this first off, let's stop before we do anything else. This uh, is a perfect time to look at the dark side of the internet. I don't think it was I don't think it was even a mere hour or two before or after this after this news broke that he was found dead that you found people celebrating online uh that you had people politicizing it uh literally before you know he was even probably taken out of where he was found definitely a dark side of the internet uh if you don't agree with uh with his stances, with his decisions, with his opinions. I mean, I can understand that. We all have different views and different opinions, and you might even, quote-unquote, hate the guy. Uh, but the thing is, and it, it boggles my mind every time I see it, and I'm not condemning everybody out there. I'm not. But, uh, you know, the attention goes to the, the people who say outrageous and ridiculous things. Look at Donald Trump in his presidential run, for example. To say such hateful things for, for a man that n- I can guarantee every nasty comment I read, nobody actually personally knew the man. He had uh, nine children. He had a wife. He was, in fact, a, a human being. And here you are on the internet, you know, thank God he's gone. Thank God. Now now we can fix the Supreme Court and first off, nothing's wrong with the Supreme Court. Let's just, you know, first off, let's condemn anybody who, who jumped online and posted something uh, either celebrating or in a positive light about his death that it would benefit the nation. The man served a hell of a long time on the Supreme Court. 
It does bring up the question, should there be a, a retirement point set in stone? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, the, that's a debatable thing. A lot of people didn't like Scalia because of this quote. And I'm going to give it to you. Um, Antonin Scalia on the Constitution. Quote, The Constitution that I interpret and apply is not living but dead, or as I prefer to call it, enduring. It means today not what current society, much less the court, thinks it ought to mean, but what it meant when it was adopted. End quote. That's a big piece right there of why some people didn't like Scalia. He looked at the Constitution and didn't say, this is a living, breathing document. That's, that's, something, that, uh, that's something that's put out there. The Constitution is a living uh, organism. I have air quotes. I do. If I can, maybe one time I'll film this process. You can see me sitting here pouring over my notes, and you can see the stupid little air quotes I do. Uh, because all radio shows do that now anyway. They have a webcam, and they broadcast it. I don't know why, but it is what it is. So that's that's one of the things is that uh, people see the Constitution as a living organism that changes per society standards. I'll tell you right now, I don't fully agree with Scalia's quote because the Constitution was laid out well over 200 years ago and times today are different. There's some key things in there, though, that I absolutely believe are unchangeable and unshakable, and I believe Scalia, among other people, like like your Ron Pauls, your Rand Pauls, uh, your constitutional conservatives, those people, the, there's uh, certain things in the Constitution that are unshakable and unchangeable. Your First Amendment rights to free speech, kind of, sort of, unchangeable, unshakable. And if you are, if you think that that is up for debate, you really have to step back and think of the implications of what that means. And I'm serious. If you think that your freedom of speech, your freedom of religion, your freedom of press, if you think any of that is up to question, in fact, hold on. All right, allow me to read the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Amendment 1. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. A lot of people misinterpret that one incredibly. Uh, Before I break it down, let's just go. Uh, Or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment. That first part, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. A lot of people cite that and say separation of church and state. I don't think you can put it in any plainer terms that there's not going to be a law respecting an establishment of religion. There's not going to be a time that the government, state or federal or otherwise, can come up and say, hey, this is what everybody's going to practice now. Is it, uh, is in God we trust being on the money, is that forcing religion on people? Not necessarily. Okay, I can understand the argument of, uh, you know, why? I can, I can understand that. Um, and I can understand 
stuff like, okay, the Ten Commandments in a courthouse. Well, that shouldn't be in there. Um, uh, it's not there uh, to me. It's not there so much as uh, as a flashback to religion, as much as it is the Ten Commandments is is one of the cited and often viewed as the first set of laws, uh, so to speak. Sorry, Monty. I have to say it there. So there's lots of debate on that in and of itself. But everything else in the First Amendment, I'd say it's pretty unshakable. Um, you obviously, you want the right, uh, you, you, want, uh, you want the freedom of speech, right? Here's the thing. People argue that one and say, well, hate speech shouldn't be allowed. Well, if you start putting restrictions on people's speech, whether you like what they say or not, then uh, you're getting into hairy territory. Now, does that mean that you should let somebody go on with hate speech and not let them pay for the consequences for it? Entirely different argument. In my mind, at least anyway, it's an entirely different argument. Uh, think about this. I come on every week, and I, I don't say almost nearly anything positive about Donald Trump. Now, say he was president. Donald Trump's the type who would, uh, you know, crush me out because I'm a critic of his. Okay, he's tried strong-arming Fox into removing Megyn Kelly because he, quote-unquote, doesn't like her. And I kind of, I believe I covered that last week, that he's had a history with Megyn Kelly before now being lovey-dovey and flirty. She wasn't taken by his, she wasn't wooed by him, and, and that made him feel small and put him on this tirade of calling her, ugly and, and undesirable and, and nine billion other mean things. But think of it in terms like that. Think of it about the government saying, like, I, we don't like what this guy is saying about us, so we're going to snuff him out before he can make an impact. That sort of thing. It, it, imagine if, if they could tweak your, your right to peaceably assemble. It, it, it Hairy stuff. That's just one of the things that I think is unshakable in the Constitution. And I, I think most people will argue and tell you that there's a lot unshakable, but I will say this: I am uh, I'm finding more stories praising Scalia, even for the differences of opinions that people had from him. I find more praising him, and more uh, recognizing a, a legacy that he's going to leave than anything else. That being said, the Republican response has. Me scratching my head. Uh, of course, we had uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, majority Senate Majority Leader, Republican from Kentucky. He came out and said the vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. And then a host of other voices, if you follow The Hill Online, for example, or CNN Politics, what, whatever political source you follow on Facebook, probably has had uh, uh, nearly a dozen of these Republican voices uh, with names including like John McCain, uh, Rand Paul even. They're all joining up saying Obama shouldn't pick one. It should be the next president so that way the, the people of the United States can have their voice heard in the pick. To me, this is, uh, this is very dumb. Um, CNN has this article up. Posted on the 15th, so that was yesterday. 
titled It's Not Too Late for Obama to Pick a New Justice. Uh, Historically speaking, it's not. In fact, that's his job as defined by the Constitution. Now, the other bit about this is that the nominee goes before the Senate and gets questioned anyway. You want some, some hours that are spent with them being questioned? Now, mind you, this is from Wikipedia, but it has sources cited. Um, <clears throat> listen to some of these, man. Um, 1971, William H. Ryanquist was questioned for uh, seven hours. Uh, John Paul Stevens, 1975, six hours. Sandra Day O'Connor, 12 hours in 1981. 1987, Robert Bork, 30 hours, and he wasn't confirmed. Anthony Kennedy, 11 hours. Uh, David H. Soder, uh, 1990, 20 hours. Clarence Thomas, 25 hours. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 20 hours. They get questioned. The Senate has to forward it with an, with an affirmative vote. <clears throat> A.K.A. We get it. The, Repu- the, the, the Senate is Republican-controlled right now. So how do you think it's going to go if it's a nomination that they don't agree with? I don't like the fact that they all stood up and said, no, 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 and then tried making up some kind of history to back it up. And the other thing I hate is that the Democrats, people don't look at the Democratic side and say, they've tried it before too, because they have. Most notably, Chuck Schirmer. Uh, This is from Mediaite.com, posted by Alex Griswold. Griswold? Sure. Alex Griswold. Posted by Alex Griswold. What if I just did the show for the rest of the time in a British accent? Would you have any objections? I know I wouldn't. Anyway, uh, Democratic New York Senator Chuck Schirmer was quoted uh, on ABC's This Week Against Republican Senators Plans to Filibuster Any Judicial Nominee by Barack Obama in His Final Months in Office. Quote, well, the job, first and foremost, is for the president to nominate and for the Senate to hold hearings and go through the process. You know, the Constitution. Ted Cruz holds the Constitution, you know, you know, when he walks through the halls of Congress. Let him show me the clause that says president's only president for three years. End quote. But Chuck Schirmer happens to be a massive hypocrite. And why? Huh. Let me play the audio. That we should not confirm any Bush nominee to the Supreme Court except in extraordinary circumstances. They must prove. They must prove by actions, not words, that they are in the mainstream, rather than we have to prove that they are not. So there, you have it. Let's just say this. Republican, Republican Party, Ted Cruz, all you senators, you're in control of the Senate. Do your hearings. If the guys can't pass the test, they can't pass the test. Is what it is. But let's not try to make up notions that both sides haven't tried to play this game before. These are rare. Uh, So rare, in fact, I just read a a New York Times article online that says that this has only happened five times in the last 100 years, with the last one being in uh, 1988, which was uh, 
Reagan's appointment, um, Reagan's appointment of Justice Kennedy, which was passed with a 97 to zero vote, um, with a majority Democratic Senate. So, just, there you go. It's, it's happened before with the opposition in play. Just saying. So with that, I, I watched the CBS Republican debate yesterday on YouTube, on Xbox, finally on a TV instead of a phone or a tablet. I actually put it on the Xbox and I watched it. And I wrote down some impressions. That's why That's why you can hear paper. It's, now it's more, <laughs> now it's a radio show because you can hear me looking through notes. So let me just go through. I wrote down some notes, uh, the, the brunt of them being on Donald Trump, unfortunately. Um, but this is this is how I plan to watch all future debates. I plan to sit down with a notebook and just jot down impressions, things that stand out. So for Trump, for whatever reason on this debate, he kept going back to Iraq. And ha, my favorite thing is that he says, I talked about Iraq. I talked about, back then, I talked about Iraq, and I said it was a bad idea. It's not on record because I wasn't in politics and yada, yada, yada. Well, I did some research. I did some dig, some digging. So, before I get to that, though, constantly re- referencing the unpopularity of the Iraq War. Always being bombast, bombastic. He says George W. Bush lied about Iraq. He says it was a big, fat mistake. Claims he himself before that war, claims that he stated before the war started that it would be bad, that it would cause an unstable region. Uh, James Fellows on The Atlantic wrote an article and can't find any truth in that statement until after the war began. Um, Andrew Kaczynski, not like Ted Kaczynski, (laughs) I think it's case. I'm gonna say it's Kaczynski. Either way, it's on BuzzFeed. But he did. Uh, he and BuzzFeed did a detailed report. There's nothing prior to March tw- 2003 or 2004. So it's the so again, nothing before the war began. Only afterwards for the Iraq War. And it's just, it's funny because Trump is now attacking the Republican Party. Uh, he took lots of jabs at Jeb Bush, but mostly at George W. Bush. And here's the thing. I don't care who you are in politics or whatever. You have to judge Jeb Bush on his own. You can't lump him with W at all. And he can't answer for anything that George did. Anything at all. In fact, at one point in this debate... Donald Trump goes back to the imminent domain thing and says people are lying about him trying to steal an old woman's house using an imminent domain. He did try. He pointed out something with George Bush in imminent domain. And he lumped Jeb in with it. And Jeb said, no, I don't agree with what my brother did on that. But again, what do you want Jeb to do? Beat George over the head with a with a hammer and say, you can't do that. It's going to make me look bad politically. No, it's... Sorry, it doesn't work that way. If I had family in politics, I you know, are people maybe going to judge me by what other people in my family did? Sure, but 
I have to stand on my own, and I have to show that I'm different. And that being said, I'm, I'm starting to believe that Jeb Bush is still in this race just to be uh, a defender of the Bush legacy, number one, and number two, to be the guy that attacks Donald Trump. It's as if his family put him up there and said, look, Trump can't be in charge. We can't have him winning anything. You need to be the guy that stands up there and takes all the hits. That's how, that's how it feels. Uh, some other notes I took. Uh, Rubio. I actually, sidebar. I, I retook the isidewith.com exam since Rand Paul is, is out of the running, so to speak. As, as long as his name's on the ballot, I'll check off his name. But I retook isidewith, and I, surprisingly... Also on my side with 84% with Marco Rubio. It's made me step back and reanalyze Marco Rubio a little bit. So I'm going to try to dive into him in a positive light now. He seems to be, this this last debate, he seemed to be a lot more cool, calm, and collected. Uh, he has conviction behind what he's saying. Um, and I'm starting to not believe the, the Ted Cruz attacks on him over the Gang of Eight thing. I'm really starting to see it in a different light. Uh, not saying I'm backing and pushing the guy yet at all, but I'm taking a little different turn on him. I, and I believe I stated up till now that I was on the fence about him. I wasn't wasn't quite behind him, but he could work me over. He's a younger guy anyway. But the other one that I wanted to point out with my eyesight with results, Gary Johnson at 84%, which gives me the full confidence that if I can't get behind one of these other candidates, Gary Johnson's going to be on that ballot. I'm, I'm almost sure of it as the libertarian candidate, and I would have almost zero qualms about pulling the trigger on that one. So that's just, I'm, I'm just saying, if you haven't done I side with, take the time out of your day, and I don't mean go... And click through it real quick and keep it to the yes or no answers. I mean, hit other answers, see the other stances, and pick the one that fits you best. And obviously, don't take those results as a golden rule or standard because it's it's a test. It's going to generate based off of what answers you got. And then you can actually read through and see where you agree with this candidate and disagree with this candidate. It's a very helpful tool. That being said, there's nothing really I can say about anybody else. I, I really I tried taking notes on Cruz and I just I can't. I don't know why. I can't. He he occasionally pisses me off. That's all I could tell you. Uh, Bush is up there to to take the hits and to try to chisel away at Trump without hurting any of the other candidates. Uh, ben Carson, let me tell you about that. Ben Carson to me seems whiny now. Um, he still jokes like any time they come to him. He's still cracking jokes about time and getting asked questions, which is just... It's been like nine or ten debates, and, and literally, at least once in every debate, he goes, oh, finally, I'm getting asked a question. It's because you're whiny, you're quiet, and... I'm not going to say you're soft. His soft-spokenness isn't necessarily a weakness, but it definitely is a corner. You know what I mean? He He doesn't have... A lot of conviction standing up there. It's just an observation. And Kasich, who, of course, sweeped in and stole number two in New Hampshire. It'll be interesting to see if he keeps any of that momentum up. Kasich sits back. Uh, he doesn't... He 
Kasich does this. He sits back. He doesn't be dirty. He doesn't fling poo. He sits there, and then when it's his turn to speak, he speaks. When it's not his turn to speak, he doesn't really interject at all. He tries to let his record speak for himself, or he at least tries painting his record to look positively on himself. But that's all Kasich does. He falls back. He falls back with his hands up in the air, and when he gets the opportunity, he's actually right now, he's the one up there saying, like, we shouldn't be attacking each other, we shouldn't be dividing each other, we should be united and try to see who can come out the best candidate and then support them. Which, you know, maybe that's why he won New Hampshire, I don't know. But he is taking the more reserved approach. While Donald Trump seemed very uncomfortable this time around, he seemed very on the offense, swinging punches left and right. At Jeb and at Cruz. I guess he doesn't perceive Rubio as a threat. Give it some time, and I'm sure he'll start uh, swinging at Rubio too. But the other thing that I don't like about Trump is that he can never seemingly ask a question or stay on the topic of the question. And I mean, seriously, listen to when the man speaks. It's like he doesn't have organized thoughts in his head. It's like he has some kind of supreme ADHD, and he jumps... And he doesn't know what, he, what, what words are going to come out of his mouth. You know, sometimes I stumble over my words. But this guy stumbles over almost every idea that he's trying to articulate. Oh, and it must be that time again for Donald Trump's... Ridiculous Statement of the Week. Don't you just love that siren? I love it. No audio clip this week. Because I don't think he was uh, recorded saying this. This is from The Hill. Donald Trump says the RNC is in default. Um, I signed a pledge, quote, I signed a pledge, but it's a double-edged pledge. And as far as I'm concerned, they're in default of the pledge, he said at a campaign event outside of Charleston, South Carolina. Um, this is Donald Trump pretty much hinting again that he doesn't have any qualms about doing a third-party run. Here's the thing, though. I don't believe he would ever do it. It's the same reason why Bernie Sanders didn't run as an independent. He switched over to Democrat to get on the platform and run on the two-party system. So, honestly, when you're talking about conviction in candidates, I have a lot more respect for Gary Johnson who says, I'm a libertarian and I'm not going to try to fake it in the Republican Party like, like... the Pauls did, and I'm not going to try to be like Bernie Sanders and slip on in on the Democratic side. I'm going to stay as a libertarian, run as a libertarian, and the libertarian candidate's going to be on the ballot in all 50 states. So Donald Trump, the only thing I can say is if you don't really don't like the Republican Party, jump off the bandwagon and run independently. He won't do it because... He knows he's not going to perform so well. Now, real quick, I want to touch on the uh, the superdelegate issue. Um, lots of Bernie Sanders supporters have been up in arms ever since uh, his sweep of New Hampshire. I don't know if I ever went over the delegate count, though. Uh, this is the delegate count right now. You need 2,382 for nomination. There's 4,763 available. Right now, Bernie Sanders' delegate count is 44. Hillary Clinton's is 394. 
Um, now, mind you, superdelegates can change. They are uncommitted. And they can they can change. But right now, you see this just massive stockpiling of Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. And not only that, uh, but the Democratic Party just uh, scaled back on a restriction they used to have. Uh, let me pull up the article that's from The Hill. Uh, in fact, here it is. Sanders pushes back on DNC reversal on contributions. The, uh, the Democratic National Committee reversed its decision. Or rather, hold on. Let me rephrase. The Democratic National Committee uh, lifted a ban on campaign contributions by lobbyists. Um, and Sanders is calling this, quote, an unfortunate step backward, end quote. And obviously, I think Bernie has the right to be angry, and I think his supporters do too. But here's the thing for all you Bernie supporters out there. If push comes to shove, I'm going to say this. I don't support Bernie Sanders, and I hope he doesn't win the presidency. I don't like Hillary Clinton either. And I've already told you that I'm I'm on the fence ever since Rand Paul's not actively campaigning for the presidency. I don't have a Republican choice, so I'm not I hope I'm not coming off as a bias on on anybody, but Hillary Clinton is a definite no in my book. Bernie Sanders is a definite no in my book. But you Bernie Sanders supporters do not settle. I will say that do not settle. For anything less than a hundred percent, if 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 you know if you can feel what I'm saying there, I'm saying don't let the Democratic Party, don't let Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Democratic National Committee uh, rig anything, uh, because that I know that's how some of you guys feel. And and honestly, I put a poll up on my Facebook. Uh, I didn't get as many people participating as I wanted, but. Uh, I did also have a poll up on Twitter as well. And nobody voted yes. I, I asked this question. Is uh, our superdelegates fair to the election process? Not one single yes registered. Everything was a no except for one other, which was uh, actually my former high school teacher who taught uh, U.S. Uh, civics and, and U.S. history. And she, she was very well-versed, Miss Mary Jane. Thank you uh, for interjecting your opinion. She said that uh, she's seriously reconsidering that whole thing because it doesn't seem very democratic. And I happen to agree with that 100%. I don't understand this superdelegate process. The Republican Party doesn't have this in place. I can, tell, I can tell you the delegate breakdown of the Republicans right now. I can tell you the breakdown right now. If you Google it, it'll give you the results. 17 delegates to Donald Trump, 11 to Cruz, 10 to Rubio, 5 to Kasich, 4 to Bush, 3 to Carson, 0 to Jim Gilmore, who some of you probably don't even know who he is. Nobody really knows who Jim Gilmore is. That's the breakdown. There is no super delegates. When you click on Democratic, if you type in delegate count, it'll give you the current ones. You click on Democratic, it'll show you pledge delegates, super delegates, and, and it's, it's nonsensical. By the way, just for... Um, Purposes, the Republicans, you need uh, 1,237. 1,237 delegates needed for the nomination. There's 2,472 available right now. So that's the breakdown. 
I would be up in arms and angry if I was a Bernie Sanders supporter because I would feel like the system was rigged against it. And with the DNC scaling back lobbyist donation, it's like they opened up the floodgates to say, look, if, if people want to donate to Hillary now more, they can. Go ahead. Do it. It does feel like it's rigged. Maybe it is. I, you know, that's up to you. But if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, don't become discouraged and don't settle for anything less. Stand up and demand that the Democratic Party changes their ways. Because that that whole process seems very rigged. And this is coming from a party that will will shoot down uh, uh, Republican stances like wanting voter registration and ID cards and things like that. They're the ones that always scream about disenfranchisement. Well, this whole system seems kind of disenfranchising. I'm, it, it, I'm looking at it right now. Does it really... You take the information. Does it seem like the Republican one's rigged? Does it seem like some backward way can try to win over all the delegates? Or that a certain group of delegates can push forward a candidate whether or not the, the public wants to vote that way? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna play into uh, the episode that I'm working on for uh, the Electoral College, which is coming up. Uh, it'll probably start. It'll probably come up more so when we have the actual people running against each other, and it's not every week I have to go over uh, delegate counts and uh, primary results and all that. That being said, Monday was President's Day, and very interesting. Uh, speaking of my high school teacher, she posted, who's your favorite president? And I sat there and I thought for a little while. And you know who popped in my head? And it's because I've been reading up on him a lot lately. 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 Calvin Coolidge. And I'm not making that up. He became president after the death of uh, Warren G. Harding. He was the 29th vice president in Harding's uh, presidency. Uh, and then he was elected in 1924. Um, he gained uh, a popular reputation for being A, small government, B, quiet and reserved, although he did make most use out of uh, radio broadcasting throughout his uh, presidential career. I did a lot of reading on this guy. Uh, he cut a lot of uh, spending, he cut a lot of taxes. Uh, pretty much he played a, a, a low key. Government. He did cut down on regulations, too. So he sort of uh, allowed industry to have a, a freer reign, so to speak, because he cut down on, uh, on restrictions and regulations. So quite possibly down the line, I might uh, do a little biographic look at him. Uh, but I just want to go over some quotes that I really like from him. Uh, one, don't expect to build up the weak by pulling down the strong. Two, there is no dignity quite so impressive and no one independence quite so important as living within your means. Three, the nation which forgets its defenders will it be itself forgotten. Four, patriotism is easy to understand in America. It means looking out for yourself by looking out for your country. Five, when more people are thrown out of work, unemployment results. Six, we cannot do everything at once, but we can do something at once. Just some highlights from Calvin Coolidge. But one thing that I do want to end on, and I look forward to next week, I look forward to South Carolina and getting these results, but there's one thing that I wanted to end on 
And that is, I would have to say, tied for my favorite president is JFK. I've, I've really been studying up on JFK. I have this record that I bought from a, from a yard sale. That's just a collection of uh, snippets from some of JFK's best speeches ever. It's a vinyl record, and I listen to it every once in a while just to pound things into my head. Um, but still my favorite quotes from the man to this day uh, are as follows. This is directly played from my record player. So just uh, take two seconds and listen. I'll see you next week. That civility is not a sign of weakness, and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man.